This is Reimagining Healthcare, a podcast about innovation in the healthcare industry. It's a show for healthcare business owners, for healthcare professionals, for industry investors, and health tech entrepreneurs. On the show, I talk to health tech and healthcare innovators to uncover how they're reimagining and building a world of seamless digital healthcare experiences and how that fits into people's lives. I'm your host, Yanni Sapanos. Today, I'm speaking with Benjamin Gold, co-director of Home Physio Melbourne. Ben talks us through what led to building his vision for home physio services, supporting people in a safe, convenient way. The change he's experienced in transitioning from a full-time clinician to now a full-time business manager. Ben explains how the convergence of health technology, attitudes, patient requirements, and impacts of COVID-19 is driving higher demand for home healthcare service models and the value of empowering team members to use key principles and take innovation initiatives like telehealth to cope with the dramatic changes to healthcare since COVID-19 impacted us all. We cover issues such as how telehealth has become a practice within a practice, whether it's possible to rehab an ACL reconstruction via telehealth, what factors have come together to accelerate and drive reimagined service delivery models, and the statistics in Australia right now between phone, video, and in-person consultations. This discussion will appeal to any healthcare providers or health tech developers who are thinking about how to deliver healthcare remotely, on-site, or in-home, and want to hear a first-hand account and experience of a successful Melbourne-based home physio provider. Let's jump in. Well, hey there, Ben. Thanks for uh, taking the time today and joining me on the show. How are you going? Going well. Thanks, Yanni. Pleasure to be here. Doing some pretty innovative stuff by taking healthcare to the client. Tell us a little bit about the background that led you to establishing the home physio in Melbourne. Sure, sure. So I think it's seven years ago now, my wife and I were living in New York City Prior to that, I was working in a brick-and-mortar practice in New York City, and and everyone in New York has a bit of a, as they call it, a side hustle. It sees a few patients as together with their regular job on the side. So, you know, seven years later, we arrived back in Melbourne and thought, what do I know? I don't know anyone here, don't know any referrers. Uh, what I do know is home physical therapy, as they call it in the States, or home physiotherapy here. And I thought, well, this is a a very low risk way to start a business where I don't need to pay rent uh, and you know hope for the best while I'm starting to market and and get the name out there. A very low risk way to start on my own with a website, which you know did myself at the time and and everything. And then it kind of just evolved from there. It's kind of the the only thing I know now in the physio world is is the the home visit kind of model. Has the thinking around delivering home care been more advanced in the States or particularly in New York compared to uh, the timeline here in Australia? It's probably been done for longer in the States because uh, New Yorkers want everything sent to them and they want everything yesterday. So home care in some form, be it home massage, home physio, home berries, home fruit box, whatever it is, has been around for a long time. I guess when I began it there, there were a few players visibly you know, when you would search for it. And when we left New York, there were a lot more. Um, same type of thing occurred here. In terms of the, the the nuts and bolts of how it actually occurs, you know, seven years later, technology's changed a bit. So that has, you know, enabled 
uh, some differences just through time and innovation that as occurs, as, as you obviously know in healthcare, for things to have, I guess, pr- and processes improved, uh, changes improved in the way things are delivered, but the fundamentals are still the same. You come to the patient's home, you know, here our company travels with massage tables, not that we use them all the time, but in New York, you would get the patient to buy their own massage table, which is not expensive. It's about 100 bucks. So you don't ride from one part of Central Park to the other with a table on your back or, or get on the train with a table. It's just logistically impossible. You know, we're in our cars with our tables. But, you know, the, the nuts and bolts of it are the same, delivering, you know, I believe high-quality healthcare to uh, in a very personal environment. You know, home care makes a lot of sense to me for a certain subset of, of clients for example, a knee replacement patient that you're trying to, you know, teach to go up their stairs, there's no better place than teaching them on their own stairs rather than two steps in an outpatient physio clinic. That's a really interesting idea for Australia, isn't it? You know, to um, think about how you receive healthcare in the future when you're designing a house or an extension or actually building your home. Are you seeing any of that kind of innovative thought happening in Australia? I'm mostly off the tools at the moment, but one of the last patients I saw, a friend actually said to me, you know, I'm going to get one of these tables as I was doing a, you know, a a session on him uh, because he utilises massage a lot and he liked the idea of the hygiene of having your own table. It's something that has happened before uh, with some of my patients. They just will like the table I bring, ask where I've purchased it and they will purchase the exact same table because it's a very comfortable, very light kind of plush table. But it's not something that that uh, a lot of Victorians so far have kind of told me about or to- told me they're thinking about doing. But, you know, it's a potential model whereby lots of, yeah, patients could purchase their own tables and, and have a lot of services to them. Or if that's an opportunity in time, you know, where uh, if you kind of think about what we've done with our garages uh, mm-hmm. around the home where we've we've turned them into kind of mechanical workshops and there's tools and you kind of structure it around uh, maintaining the motor vehicle, you know, or the landscaping or whatever the case is. So I wonder whether healthcare plays a role in the um, design, you know, the, the reimagination of how Australians actually design their living spaces going forward to be able to cater for healthcare. Well, it's, it's a really interesting question. It might be going off on a tangent, but there's a lot of talk now about in terms of what's going on in Victoria anyway in our current environment and unfortunately what has happened in the aged care sector in that uh, perhaps there should be a lot more ageing in place in, in the home. And, and, I mean, there's a million different ways we could go off on tangents here to talk about, you know, home detection for the elderly or wearables or, or, or whatever it is. But there's there's potentially a lot of opportunity here for, for businesses who are, uh, well, for families who don't want their loved ones to be, Sent. Some people have no choice if some people do have the choice and some people it's kind of somewhere in between. But there, there are a lot of, I guess, op- opportunities to, to discuss here uh, potentially with regards of you know, ageing in place just in specifically with that. So that could be something for the, uh, the builders and the constructors out there to actually think about shaping their designs around human needs going forward. Absolutely. I mean, who doesn't want a, a jacuzzi in the backyard to help with aches and pains? And <laughs> if if you can, and, and and a home gym, and yeah, I, I guess it would come down to cost and and need, and yeah, there's, there's definitely opportunity there. Fantastic. So, home visio in Melbourne. Tell me about the, I guess, the size and scale of the operation. You've come a long way in a relatively short period of time. Spent seven years back from the state, six years in home physio. 
And it started off with just me. And now we've got, I think, 18 or 19 practitioners with a mix of contractors and employees, uh, both exercise physiologists and physios and, and OTs coming. So it's grown, it's grown nicely based on, I think, probably a few different reasons. Number one is that uh, for certain things, as I said before, I'm biased, but certain things just make sense to me to occur at home. And home care has been occurring for a long time, be it rehab in the home that's done through uh, post-acute care where, you know, the hospital will send out someone. But my vision was to create, you know, another New York model in, in Melbourne and then perhaps other cities around Australia because the fundamentals of what people want are the same. They want great care, great value. They want to be listened to and they want their problems solved. My wife and I work very hard. Um, I believe there is some luck involved, but the harder you work, the luckier you get apparently. But, you know, it has grown organically in that when I was full and I literally couldn't see any more patients, all right, we need to hire someone. And then that was our first hire. And then they lived wherever they did, and that was a contractor. And if work came up, they would agree to it or not. And then we it just kept growing. NDIS has helped a lot because um, a lot of participants, as they're called, need services at home. And, and that kind of yeah, things were growing well already, but that kind of boosted things and, and allowed us to really expand a lot, especially in the past financial year. What's that been like for you as far as keeping that quality that you know you can deliver? And then how do you it's replicate a, that with a with a fleet of practitioners sort of moving around the city? It's a fantastic question, Yanni. And what, one of the things that I, I've mentioned in other podcasts, and I'll mention again, patients don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So in my interview process, there, there are two things that I kind of uh, let every person know. That's one of them. I truly believe it because caring is, is what people want. And the number one thing I say is that we're going to follow up on what we say we're, we're going to do. And so in my mind, if you have those two things going as the fundamental core of, of what we do, it can be an exercise physiologist, a physio, it can be our admin. We need to care, genuinely care, and we need to actually follow up and do the things we say we're going to do and be accountable. If we do those things as a, as a basic thing, then I think uh, other things can fall into place. Um, how have I coped personally with moving from on the tools kind of full-time, maybe 20 patients a week to sometimes one or none uh, a week, I thought I'd struggle with it a lot more because I think health practitioners, uh, like everyone, everyone has an ego, but you know, you, you do something for long enough and, and part of what you do becomes uh, part of your ego. And I thought my ego would struggle a lot more with it than, than it has. You know, do I miss seeing patients clinically? I, I miss the, the challenge of working out what's wrong with with someone or problem solving because if you get it you're right it's a very nice feeling to see sometimes very fast results in a patient but at the same time we couldn't be doing what we're doing now with me on the road as well because part of what I do now as 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 you would know as a as a business owner as well is a lot more of the policy and compliance and the stuff that as you grow the stuff that that needs to occur to, to make sure that the business is safe and, and make sure we are keeping our patients safe. So it's more of the, the strategy stuff that I actually really enjoy. I enjoy it as much as the clinical side. At the moment, there's no choice. I can't be doing both. So I've coped with it okay. I guess that's the term working on the business rather than in the business. Correct. And you've always got to have somebody who's able to take that kind of holistic 
perspective on keep the ship moving in in the right direction. And so I'd, I'd imagine that this year there's been quite a an increase in the challenges uh, in delivering uh, home care uh, and itinerant healthcare. What's it, what's it been like for you over the last uh, six to eight months? Yeah, it's been very challenging, to be honest. COVID kind of first wave, if, if I'm not sure if we call it first or second wave now, I guess it's irrelevant. First lockdown was quite challenging for us because on a daily basis, um, I needed to be updated from, you know, DHHS and, and the Victorian government and, and Medicare and NDIS, NDIA, the commission, as to what we needed to be doing. And so it was a stressful period because things were changing so rapidly and there was a period where I kind of described this two-week period during the first lockdown where everyone was just freaking out. So much unknown. Everyone in every business was like just heads were spinning. We don't know what's going on. So we had the challenge of not knowing whether our business was going to be around and on top of that, all the compliance things that we needed to be doing. And that was similar for stage four because it was another kind of like, bang, this has happened. We need to deal with it. Now we're face shields and and so in some ways it was very stressful, but in other ways it forced us to really adapt, I believe, quite quickly So on a, on a number of different fronts. So we needed to get our policies and procedures regarding personal protective equipment and, and, and infection control, infection prevention right from the get-go. And that was a, a big focus of mine. This is how we do things. And we have a protocol in place now as to how what we do when we before we arrive to a patient's place, you know, risk management, screening questions, software questions that are, uh, I guess, a, a fallback in case things haven't, in case things haven't been asked. When it comes to note taking time, there's compliance things that need to be done on that on that uh, front. So that that was one aspect. But we also had, to, like every other health practice in Australia, try and uh, embrace telehealth. And so we, we had programs that we were using. We weren't using them that much. I allowed one of our employees at the time to really, instead of doing clinical work, her role was to really find out what we need to do, talk us through the process, make flow charts, make videos, teach us how this works. That was, I think, done well. Some people obviously had done a bit of telehealth before. And this, this individual only does telehealth now in our organisation. That's the only thing she does. So it's been fantastic to see that she's been able to build her own little practice within our practice just using telehealth. And, you know, we, we also had other options, you know, uh, where you could make phone calls with patients through other compensable bodies, Medicare and DVA, that were reimbursed in a similar way to telehealth. Obviously, some, not obviously, I shouldn't make generalizations, but some 90-year-olds don't either have a computer um, or don't know how to use email or have never used a computer or a, computer, a phone with a computer on it, computer screen on it. So there was a lot of information gathering and a lot of changes in policies and procedures and a lot of uh, politics as well, internal politics as to how best this uh, was to be managed. Ethics, uh, politics, you, you know, it was the kitchen sink of, of everything you could imagine that needs to be discussed when a pandemic occurs. So that was also challenging, but we, we got through that. Actually, we, we grew through COVID. We've had some really nice growth through COVID, I think, for a number of reasons. I think we do things okay. We're small enough to be able to be nimble to make changes very quickly without consulting 30 different people. And, you know, it just comes from, comes from myself and, and my wife and we, we do get feedback. 
Do you think that not having a clinic helped you with the agility and that nimbleness that you described to be able to adapt? I think it's probably a double-edged sword. There were things that we could do more easily because of probably our size um, and the fact that patients' homes uh, are actually like our one practice. In some respects, it's more difficult, though, because rather than having a, a sign on our front door that says, do you have symptoms, we need to be doing multiple calls uh, for every patient, multiple pre-screenings. Physios do their own pre-screening as well. So some things are probably easier in terms of infection control uh, because we were providing our own PPE and also to uh, participants and patients in some cases during, well, certainly during lockdown stage four, uh, we, we also give our, our participants masks and, and face shields if, if they want. We need to wear those. But we're walking in, into an uncontrolled environment where we don't know what's been there. We know that we've been as, as controlled as we are able to be. But, but the flip side of that is the patients, I think the psychology behind having someone come to them was probably a little, little bit easier because in their mind, rather than us being exposed to multiple people in a clinic, we may have only seen one or two people before and then you jump in your car, you go to the next person. So um, easier in some ways but more difficult in others, so balanced, I guess. Yeah, and, and how's, the, how's the team been through this period of time? Uh, has it all those policies and procedures and controls and the PPEs, that, has that been received to uh, empower them and give them confidence to move forward and provide the it's, care and... Yeah, it's actually really uh, a really good question, and I'm I'm not one to really pat myself on the back much, but I'm about to. Um, <laughs> the, the feedback that we get through our, our where we've got Slack as our I guess app that we use to communicate internally has been really really positive. Uh, comments like Ben, thanks so much for direction because uh, with some of the contractors because some of the places I'm other working uh, uh, yeah where I'm working we have no direction, so I'm quite detail oriented with I want things to be done a certain way because it helps me sleep at night to be honest and so the feedback has been thank you so much for giving us direction here it's clear my direction in, in some circumstances has been it is to be done this way or else you know because the last thing we need is for us to be doing something that has is not uh, backed up by policies and procedure and as a result of that cause infection to occur in other patients. Obviously, we're in a time where the pandemic is incredibly virulent and infectious, and even at best practices, COVID could be potentially carried on to someone else. But if there was something that we were to be seen doing that was not right, I couldn't sleep with that. So the direction, I think, has been strong but fair, and I think been, if anything, just encouraged, and, and, and I've had a lot of thanks for it. So. Has that been relatively easy to deal with because of the technology and the, and the ability to actually just use the tools to facilitate that? Or are there other considerations that you need to take in? Because we do home visits and we have continued doing face-to-faces more than anything because of, our, uh, because of the demographics of our patients for the majority of the time doing face-to-face on-the-road visits. If we look at the percentage of telehealth, for example, versus face-to-face, it could be 10%. So it's not that much. Where do you see it going? I mean, you know, we're hopefully coming out of the stage four lockdowns in uh, Melbourne before too long. We'll find out next weekend or this weekend, actually. Where do you see the journey extending to both within your business and also, I guess, the concept that your business embodies of being able to deliver healthcare 
anywhere, anytime. You know, I use the example of my daughter who had a bit of asthma. I use this as a prime example. This was during uh, lockdown. We, we had organised to go and see a, a specialist, a paediatric respiratory specialist at a hospital that was about at least half an hour from our place. His office had a policy, no, we're just going to do everything on Medicare via the phone. And so this was a review just to see how's the medication going. And to me, this was a five-minute conversation. Uh, it was, yep, everything's going well. Okay, stay on the course, keep doing what you're doing. This took five minutes of my time, whereas I, in prior to this pandemic, we would have jumped in the car, driven there, waited, driven home. There's, I mean, to me, this was like, this was a no-brainer. This is brilliant for things like reviews. Obviously, the 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 skill involved with with what we do with assessment physically and other professions with stethoscopes, although there's, you know, there's uh, digital stethoscopes now that can send, you know, information to your cardiologist. I mean, the, the, where I see that going is probably another conversation, but I, I feel like home visits are only going to increase. And I think telehealth will probably increase, not at the same level as home visits, I don't know whether that's out of fear or necessity. I, I wish I could give you more information about that. But but just where home visits are going organically, that that was uh, increasing regardless of, of a pandemic being in front of us or not. I would agree. I, I, I think telehealth is here to stay. It's interesting the uh, take-up statistically when you look at almost half of Medicare claims are um, being put through under an item code uh, related to telehealth. And what's even more interesting, I guess, out of that is that the majority of those, uh, particularly in the general practice sector, are done via a phone call. Uh, so the video isn't even being turned on. We've got a long way to exactly. go in terms of fully unpacking what telehealth actually could do in helping support the delivery of healthcare or perhaps what happens in between the appointments. What are your thoughts? What I'd be interested in knowing is also from private health insurers, what percentage that is. From I can only talk from a physio perspective, and, and if we uh, have a patient that goes through what was called an enhanced primary care, which I think now is called chronic care management plan, five visits, uh, we could do that via phone call. I know from, I can only speak personally from, from our perspective, is that most of our patients are doing telehealth, so using the video cameras uh, to actually do exercise sessions with them teach them what they're doing wrong as, as well as they can, take a front view, a side view, tell them to correct this, that or the other. I only see that type of technology improving because a lot of the telehealth platforms out there are fairly similar if you look at fundamentally what they offer, a video camera, some with exercise solutions. Where telehealth will really grow will be with the addition of the Internet of Things and wearables technology within artificial intelligence, monitoring of, of how perhaps people are doing things, measuring range of motion like some uh, software programs do through the video program. But perhaps from, you know, from the physio standpoint, it could be also with, you know, with a wearable that's measuring their, their heart rate that is uh, telling us how they're going in terms of exercise capacity. Again, there are so many options here you know, we could be measuring blood flow of a certain body part, or it could be measuring pain or discomfort during a particular exercise or activity. So I do think there's a rapid transformation event that's happened here. The nice ideas that were sitting in everybody's, in the back of everybody's mind, or oh, wouldn't it be nice to do this? Or wouldn't it be nice to that? I wonder if there's another way to enhance the, the client experience uh, over time. We had this massive acceleration event because of that 
existential threat. And I was remembering back then when you were talking about a little bit earlier, just I think physio was probably the most divided cohort in our community around whether telehealth could work for them or not. What, what do you say to physios or physical therapists out there who perhaps still think there's a limitation in delivering physical therapies in another way? Our employee who has built her own practice just out of telehealth, she's seeing one patient who had a, an AC, an anterior cruciate ligament reconstruction, has not touched her once and has successfully rehabbed her into like a running program from day one. She has built a practice within our practice just on telehealth. Now, I think people who have created telehealth programs are the first to point out that it is not a panacea for every single type of injury ailment out there. Obviously, the art of the physical exam often, well, it cannot be done. You can ask a patient to squat, but you can't feel their knee. You can't feel ligament laxity after a fall. There's certain things that cannot be done. People who have created telehealth programs are very aware and vociferous about this. They say this is not for everything, but there is a lot that can be done. And there's a lot of research out there that shows that uh, telehealth uh, appointments can be as effective as physical uh, face-to-face appointments for a multitude of conditions. So I think it comes down to educating patients about what can be done, what can't be done, getting some buy-in from the patient. Because if we don't get buy-in from them and they're not educated properly, then uh, you know, this goes nowhere. So it's it's a matter of, you know, perhaps proving to them, having a session uh, and proving to, to them. And hopefully as technology improves with more and more with telehealth, there will be more buy-in based on the additional things that, that can occur, hopefully in the future. Are you, are you getting any kind of anecdotal feedback on whether from the customer's point of view, how are they feeling with it all? Are they open-minded to receiving the, uh, the support either remotely or, or itinerantly? Some are very receptive and have taken it on incredibly well and others just do not fundamentally believe that they would either pay uh, the same amount or pay any, or, or want a telehealth appointment at all either because they don't believe, they have a fixed belief that it, it isn't going to help with their problem because they haven't been educated as to actually what can be done or they don't have the sometimes the technological know-how to actually, or, or in some circumstances, it's the telehealth program that's just too difficult to use. There are some out there that are like just too difficult and the patients give up and then we give up. We'll just call them on FaceTime or FaceTime, you know, HIPAA compliance or, or whatever we call it here. Yanni, what do we call it here? <laughs> Patient confidentiality. Correct. APP um, compliance. AP, yes. Ha- yes HL7. Seven. Se- separate issues. But I know this has obviously been discussed at length with, you know, when, when Zoom was being um, taken up uh, like crazy when COVID first started. But yeah, it's again, it's probably a mix of things. Some patients are like, giddy up, I'm ready to go, I love this, I love the fact that we can continue and others are outright, no, not interested. The interesting thing that a lot of clinics have had to to discuss, and I'm part of these forums where I see this being discussed back and forth, is do we change our prices for telehealth? A lot of clinics have actually reduced their prices. Maybe they're doing shorter sessions and clinics like ours have kept them the same because if anything, our practitioners have had to upskill 
they haven't become dumber because of COVID. They've become more skilled in using technology. They've had to use their own time. I own our prices for everything we do because I believe we have a, a good quality of service. But especially with telehealth, we uh, did not reduce our fees because our physios and EPs have become more skilled. It's another skill they've had uh, that they have under their belt. My opinion isn't the only opinion out there. Obviously, there are a lot of people who have discounted for for their own reason. It's not a one-size-fits-all answer, that's for Mm -hmm. sure. My take on it uh, is that it probably shouldn't, you know, because where is the value? Is the value in the space? Yeah, but you're also not traveling, you're not paying for the petrol, parking. Saving you time. Yeah. So let's take those fringe kind of issues out of it and let's get back to what's going on here, which is there's a value in the service that's being offered, the treatment, the the therapy, um, and anchor on that. Yeah, I I think those are really good points. But I think what would be really interesting and would, would be easier to, for lack of a better word, sell to patients is let's look at the outcomes of treating a patient with acute lower back pain via telehealth versus hands-on. Let's look at the outcomes of a total knee replacement. Let's look at those outcomes and then we can be outcome-driven and data-driven and actually say to the patient, the, the statistics and the research shows that we can actually get you the same result, maybe in some circumstances a better result, uh, from utilising telehealth rather than doing a face-to-face appointment. I'd like to I'd like to look forward and kind of project what healthcare might look like through through your eyes. Where do you see it going, and what do you think might be the impediments to achieving that? Where do you see healthcare in five years? I see increasing use of wearables, which we've kind of seen anyway, be it stethoscopes, blood pressure monitors, atrial fibrillation monitors on your watch. Be it a, there's some technology with with watches now looks at atrial fibrillation and studies that, I think there will be more uh, wearable technology. I think there will be more technology in the telehealth space. Home visits will increase and the technology surrounding uh, home visits and reporting data in, uh, with regards to outcome will will increase as well. Big data is, it, it makes sense. People want to know how things are going. I think some of the challenges could be based, A, on internet speeds. In Australia, I know we, coming from the States, lightning fast internet speeds. In Australia, even some of the telehealth calls we've had, the issues have been connectivity. So I think some of the challenges there are, are out of our hands as a as a individual or a company. So the challenges could be internet speeds, what services can be provided and what they can actually do to help you. So, and I think that probably comes under the responsibility of some of the governing bodies of allied health practitioners or GPs or specialists to let people know what actually is available. Because if that doesn't occur, and I can think of a couple of organisations that I don't think do that well, a big part is educating people what can be done. Yes, and if that's not done and the internet speeds are not not good enough, then I I see those as as the challenges. Well, hopefully our internet speeds do get uh, a lot better. I'd imagine there's um, quite a bit of investment going into it at the moment. I really like the phrase uh, or the saying, fortune favours the bold. I wonder whether we're in a perfect climate for seeing the innovators in the healthcare space actually play a role in leading the peak bodies and leading their peers in ways and methods that are actually better, but using obviously you know their their clients and their consumers to actually validate 
that these things are actually acceptable and work well. You know, if a, if a patient doesn't want to pay a prescribed fee for a service that they would have, you know, six months ago if they walked into a space, where are they seeing value? What else can we uh, learn from that feedback that helps reconfigure the way that um, the healthcare service delivery model is, um, is built in order to find a balance between those perceptions and the outcomes that you, you talked about a little bit earlier? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's a real credit to you, Ben. Um, oh, well, thank you. Thanks, Yana. I'll say uh, thanks, for, uh, thanks for coming along today, Ben, and sharing some of your experience and, uh, and some of your vision. I really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks, mate. No worries. Thanks. It's been a pleasure to be on the show. Thanks for listening. This podcast is produced in collaboration with Health Tech X, where we are working toward a world of integrated digital health empowerment for all people. If you'd like more info on how to get involved, head over to the website, healthtechx.com.au. Or if you have any feedback about the show, you can reach out to me directly on LinkedIn, Instagram, or email by following the links in this episode's show notes. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to Reimagining Healthcare in your podcast app. And if you like what you heard, leave us a five-star review. It really helps other people find the show. I'm your host, Yanni Sopanos. And I'll speak to you in our next episode.